So hello everyone. I'd like to welcome all of you to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. My name is Lee Nichols. I'm the Editor-in-Chief and Associate Publisher of Hydrocarbon Processing Magazine. And today we are going to welcome in two very special guests, John Doyle, who is the Chief Project Officer of Bluescape Clean Fuels, and Brian Luftus, who is the Vice President of Business Development at Coke Modular. Now, today we're going to be discussing a little bit more about Bluescape's Clean Fuels STG Plus technology and then how both these companies are working together to build on this emerging technology. So with that, I do want to welcome in our special guests, John and Brian. How are you all doing today? Good, Lee. Thanks for having us. Good, Lee. Thank you. Pleasure to meet you. Excellent. So just to start things off, um, just so listeners who might not be uh, who might not know more about your companies, I wonder if you can just kind of talk a little bit more about your companies, Bluescape and uh, Coke Modular. So, John, why don't we go ahead and start with you? Sure. Okay. So, Bluescape Clean Fuels uh, predecessor company, Primus Green Energy, started in in 07 as a technology development company focused on gas to liquids, and our real expertise became uh, converting syngas. Uh, which is a mixture of hydrogen, CO, and CO2 into liquid fuels. Uh, we spent well over 10 years developing a set of proprietary technologies, making uh, gasoline and methanol. Um, you know, we developed these technologies through concept, bench scale, pilot testing, and then we built a commercial demonstration plant at our New Jersey Technology Center. This is a full-scale, replicates the full process. It's heavily instrumented, and the purpose was to you have a huge data set to uh, populate our commercial process models and and help us go to a commercial scale. To date, the demo plants run well over 10,000 hours. Uh, we've got a number of patents both on our process and on our product. Um, that brings us to early 2020 as energy prices collapsed and the pandemic hit. <clears throat> the holding company that owned Primus decided to sell off a lot of its non-core holdings. So we went through that process and in the end, actually very beneficially ended up uh, being acquired the, by a group that included Bluescape Energy Partners out of Dallas, which uh, that led us to uh, forming Bluescape Clean Fuels, which is uh, essentially owns all the assets of Primus, including the entire technology team. Our business model as Bluescape Ener uh, Clean Fuels is to develop, build, own, operate plants utilizing our technology mainly in North America and other select locations. There's oh, the rest of the world, we would more likely license a technology and provide a modular units of our process. Well, we haven't yet built the first commercial facility. We're currently working with partner companies to develop several projects, both in North America and in Europe. And uh, we hope to be in construction next year or so, which would give, lead us to be uh, the first company to deliver commercially produced fully renewable gasoline to the market. Excellent. Perfect. So let's go ahead. When, you, when you're talking about modular construction, let's let's move to you, Brian. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Coke Modular? Sure. Uh, Coke Modular was founded in 1994. Um, principally, it's our core focus is the design and supply of modularly constructed chemical process systems, really to the full breadth of the chemical processing industry. Um, as far as where we begin with a project, and maybe that's one of the things that sort of makes us unique, is we, we start very early phase in fundamental process development. Uh, so that might be things like unit operation selection and development of material balances. Uh, we then move into pilot testing, so proof of concept 
from there, traditional process engineering, detailed engineering, and all of that culminating in the supply of a modularly constructed for us road transportable modular system. Um, with that sort of breadth of involvement starting very early phase over the last decade plus, a large portion of our business has been in the emerging tech space, whether it's biomass to fuels or biomass to chemicals or plastics recycling. Um, we're meeting those clients in their first, let's say, three to five years of existence, where they're in the developing tech and the early phases of concept commercialization. And our goal is to become a key partner to, uh, if you will, walk alongside them on that pathway and ultimately be able to build out either their first pilot or demo or commercial scale system modularly constructed. Excellent. So I think that's actually a fantastic segue into my next question, because we have, of course, uh, a company that that's a that builds uh, that builds certain uh, um, facilities, and of course, a licensor. So, I guess then the next question is: is how did Bluescape and Coke Modular start working together? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, our company started as a pure technology development company. Uh, you know, most of our engineers, especially at that time, were PhD chemical engineers, research pilot plant backgrounds uh, like that. Uh, is as good a technology team as I've ever seen, but they just didn't have a lot of real world project, commercial project experience. I came aboard in 2013 to build out the company's commercial delivery capability. Um, I, I just come off a modular project. I knew that's the way we wanted to go. So I started interviewing, you know, modular fabricators, uh, mostly in the Houston area. Probably talked to five or six or so companies. <clears throat> But I came across Coke Modular because they had actually visited us in the early days uh, before we were really ready to do anything. But that just shows you, uh, you know, their their interest in in participating in, in the technology development side of things. Uh, two things jumped out about Coke in my mind that separated them from the others. First of all, they they had years of experience. You know, at this time, it, modular was a big buzzword in the industry, and everybody said they could do modular and. You know, most people had done a project or two, and, and I had actually experienced walking somebody through the learning curve there, and I didn't want to do that again. There's very few that had the 20 plus years experience that Coke had. There was maybe one or other, um, and that really set them up. That makes a big difference in this field. Uh, and the second was, as, as Brian covered in his intro, uh, they have a very strong process group, and, uh, you know, most of these other competitors are you know, kind of detailed design and fab companies where you really have to give them a well-developed package and, and really specify a lot in, for them to do what they do, and they're good from there on. That's, that's what their focus is. The Coke team is able to, you know, come in and converse with our technical guys at their level and, you know, convert their detailed process knowledge into a, a, a fully designed commercial system. They just have the upstream engineering capabilities that other modular fabricators don't have. So we, we've been since uh, we've been together, we've done, I don't know, five, six, seven engineering packages together and had very positive experience. Excellent. So I'd like to go on and, and talk a little bit more about uh, this technology. But first, I'm kind of get. I'd like to get your your input on how how have you seen the gas to liquid market change over the past decade? Yeah, um, I mean, if you go back, you know, 10 years or so ago, or even more recently, our primary focus uh, 
for a while had been on natural gas as a feedstock. You know, you go into areas like uh, production areas like the Marcellus or the Permian or the Buck, and, and you know, there, especially with a lot of stranded or flared gas or gas that can't be monetized, <laughs> we can lock in uh, natural gas at uh, prices discount to the pipeline gas. What we found was these major producers were, you know, drilling wells and generating production a lot faster than they could build pipelines to get this gas to market. So they had a lot of pent up uh, supply that they just couldn't find a home. And they were looking at what they, they called, uh, the term they used is in-basin demand. So they were looking to identify technologies that could be built at the wellhead or at the gas collection network and, and take the gas uh, and convert it to a, a usable product that could be trucked to local markets and stuff. So that was uh, really almost our sole focus up and through maybe two years ago. And then as you get into 2019 or so, um, the focus very significantly shifted to renewables. Um, it, in, in renewable feedstocks, which allow us to produce renewable gasoline, Changes being driven on a number of fronts. We see on the on the financial side, we see investors who are just solely focused on renewable projects and technologies. They know where the future is going, and they 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 want to be part of that. Their their energy funds will just come out and say, "We will no longer invest in fossil fuels," and and that's a big change from a few years before. Um, you see end users like automotive OEMs. You know they they're trying to figure out what their future looks like. They need to know that they have a, a potential liquid fuel supply that's lower and decarbonized, but it, you know, it can be run in parallel with their EV programs. And, you know, they're trying to figure out what that looks like. You got oil companies that are trying to, you know, diversify their product offerings. They, they want to learn a lot about renewable fuels. <clears throat> you got governments around the world who are trying to put structures in place to reduce emissions, you know, meet climate goals. You know, like in the US, we're, you got the federal renewable fuel standard program in states like California, you have the low carbon fuel standard. You know, these greatly enhance project revenues. We're looking at projects where our gasoline stream can get two to three times the revenue it would get from a, if it was a traditional gasoline, a non-renewable. And, you know, these programs are intentionally set up to help grow the renewable fuel industry and, uh, you know, they have a big effect on getting the project going. So. Seen a lot of dynamic changes in the market, especially over the last 18 months or so. Excellent. And and I want to stick with you for one more question, John, uh, sure. especially because uh, it deals with the technology side of it. And before we move to uh, to you, Brian, when I want to talk a little bit more about the construction side. So with this, can you just give the listeners a little bit more info uh, about Bluescape's GTL technology and then what the benefits of that technology is versus, say, conventional refining processes? Sure. And I could talk on this all day, so I'll try to keep it brief. Um, I mean, from a big picture point of view, you can kind of divide the gas to liquids world up into two broad categories. There's on one side, you have Fischer-Tropes technology. So you have these at huge scale with Shell and Sasol and companies like that. Um, and, and then there's um, you have a number of companies that are trying to economically scale that down. And so they're trying to optimize that process at a smaller scale. Uh, these technologies make a range of molecules that can be refined into you know diesel, jet fuel, some gasoline, you get some waxes and other stuff. Um, but that that is not what we do. Um, on the other side of the column, you have uh, a family of three uh, 
different technologies that specifically make gasoline, and those are ExxonMobil's MTG process, hold the top, so it's tie gas process, and Bluescape's SDG Plus. Um, SDG Plus is syngas to gasoline plus other projects, products. Um, you know, we can make, we take syngas from any source. We don't care whether it's natural gas from a reformer or biomass from a gasifier. We've got strategic partners with leading companies on both technologies. Uh, our approach is to partner up with either one, depending on the project. We compress the syngas and run it through just sequential fixed bed catalytic reactors, all in the vapor phase. So the first two reactors are methanol reactors, and this is basically the same way all the methanol in the world is made. So it's syngas to methanol. The third reactor is where we do all our proprietary work. That's, that's where you go methanol to gasoline. And the fourth reactor, we clean up the gasoline a bit to get get it on spec. Um, and then from there, it's a simple three-phase separator where the water goes out the bottom to get cleaned up. The gasoline goes forward to a stabilizer where it becomes fully on spec RBOB gasoline ready for market. And the uh, unreacted gases get recycled for further processing. It's very stable process, reliable. <clears throat> um, other than the feed and recycle compressors, there's very few moving parts. Um, it's fully energy integrated and exothermic, so there's excess steam for others. Um, if you compare us to the conventional refiner, um, just on a, a real basic view, those guys are taking a barrel of oil that has loads of different molecules in it, and they're separating everything and trying to get the different cuts of products out. So they can separate out a gasoline cut, but uh, you know, no separation is perfect and they get what they get because they're starting with oil. We're coming at it really from the other end of the spectrum. We're taking the, the basic building blocks that are in syngas, the hydrogen and the carbon, and through by controlling our catalytic process the right way, we're just building up the gasoline molecules that we want to create. There's, there's no traces of other things like sulfur and benzene in our gasoline because they weren't in the original building blocks. Um, well, we're on the topic of the technology and building gasoline molecules. I just want to note that uh, building a hydrogen, a hydrocarbon, you, you obviously need a certain ratio of hydrogen to carbon available. Generally, a little over two to one is, is what we want. And what we've learned recently over the last few years, as we you know run our process with natural gas feed, you have plenty of excess hydrogen. You've got a ratio of almost three to one. So, you know, the yield is solely dependent on how efficiently you can get the carbon in the feed into the product, which is pretty straightforward. With the biomass feedstock, that changes significantly as the hydrogen to carbon ratio is, you know, well below two to one, generally below one to one. So you're, you're left with two choices. You can process what you have available and discard the excess carbon, but that's perfectly renewable carbon that we collect and gasified. Or we could bring in outside hydrogen, which would need to be renewable if we want to make renewable gasoline. Option two is much more interesting and profitable, um, and that's the way we're heading, which you know leads us to, the, I would say our technical team has spent the vast majority of its time over the last year or so driving up the Renewable hydrogen learning curve. It's um, it's a very interesting space. We've looked at green hydrogen, blue hydrogen. We're actually uh, starting uh, development work on our own process. Um, it's real exciting stuff. That's it's um really where the future goes. If as as I've told 
our team. Everything we do to learn about hydrogen is going to be beneficial going forward. Obviously, a lot of people working in this space, but uh, affordable hydrogen is the key to a lot going forward. Absolutely, no, it's 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 pretty exciting stuff. So def we'll have we'll have to have you back on. You can talk more about that side of the business later on. Sure. Uh, now, of course, I'd like to get both of y'all gentlemen's opinion on this one. So, I mean, my next question is, is, is how is this project scale different than, say, like a mega scale GTL complex? And why did this particular project go with a modular build? You, John, you want to go first there and then I'll head on? Yeah, I'll, I'll take the first part of that. And you can take second. Um, yeah, so most current GTL plants, that certainly the... Um, you know, the Shell and Sasol and stuff are mega scale, really because they need huge economies of scale to be profitable. They're generally fish tropes technology and they have a, a complex flow sheet and a high piece count. You know, we we first of all started with, a, as, as I said before, a, a different technology. It's it's much simpler technology. Um, our focus from day one has been to look at modest sized plants. Our sweet spot is depending on the economics of the situation, 300 to 3,000 barrels per day of gasoline. Um, we, you know, we started with a simple process and spent literally years developing, uh, testing, engineering, running the demo plant, all with a, a focus really of, of simplifying the process, driving the cost down, um, and with a particular focus on, on piece count and capital cost because we wanted to go smaller. We now, you know, I would say we consistently get market feedback that at moderate scale, we're the you know, system that's most capital efficient out there. Um, the, the big benefit we're finding with this approach is that, you know, as, as the market turns to renewables, as I've talked about, biomass plants generally need to be smaller than natural gas plants. Two reasons. One is the, the gas fire industry is fairly new. Uh, most of these guys are going commercial for the first time or only have one or two commercial units out there and they just don't have experience at larger scale so they've they've got to you know build a few and and then try to go larger so that'll take a while to get there second and a more permanent reason is the biomass collection radius is just uh, limited by transportation costs typically with a plant if you go bigger you have an economy of scale that helps the economics what you see in these biomass plants is you go bigger, you get an economy of scale, but you get an offsetting feedstock transportation cost. You know, take you know, biomass is very, you know, high water content, very bulky stuff. Taking it 10 miles is fine. Taking it 20 miles is doable. And you trick, you know, you start trucking it 50 miles, 60 miles, it really gets out of hand on the on the cost. So, you know, you just find that these things want to be smaller plants. And that what we find is that uh the optimum size of these biomass plants is right in there, the capacity wheelhouse of our, our technology. So it's, um, uh, the, I think that the years of work we did in scaling down has been paying off now. And John, just to, to build on that, I think it's interesting that not only in gas to liquids, which really are gonna say biomass to gas to liquid space, but in other technology spaces we have exposure to, which might be biomass to chemicals or plastics recycling. It's that same model that John described that drives the economics. If it's a solids based raw material in that is effectively a collected solids, 
the economics of collection and transportation to a production site weigh in heavily uh, in the overall business case, uh, which obviously drives the ability to or need for smaller scale, because if you're regionally collecting, that determines your capacity of your plant, uh, which sets up very nicely for a modular solution and the benefits that modular construction brings to this type of project. Excellent, and that like that's a great segue into my next my next question, which is my last one, and is and it's for people who might be thinking about going modular. Uh, Brian, I was wondering if you could just kind of give us the benefits of of using a modular building. Why why would that be beneficial to people? Sure. Um, so modular construction, as John hit on earlier, it, it's a phrase that probably means many things to different people. Uh, so for our lexicon, we're building modules that are principally road truckable by our design model. So footprints when these frames are erected of 11 by 14 feet up to 80 feet tall, we can have stackable modules. Uh, weights and transportation, 150 to 200,000 pounds. A large project might be comprised of 25 of those modules uh, coming together on site. Um, so principal benefits of modular construction, time to market. Um, whether it's uh, our ability on the front end to compress the development cycle, but really it's in the fabrication cycle uh, where you realize those, those benefits of time to market. Uh, we can commence construction while permitting application processes are ongoing at the site. Uh, we're fabricating generally under doors or under, uh, under roof or under tarp. Uh, so we're in a controlled environment. Uh, the principal amount of our welding is done at a bench. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, we're, we're in the horizontal when we fabricate, so we're not at elevation. So craft labor hours are down, uh, which drives efficiency in time. It drives efficiency in cost. Um, IP management is a big one. Uh, you, you look at something like Bluescape's technology, uh, the ability for them to single source uh, that technology to cook modular and for us to deliver a completed system versus like, I'll call it a distributed uh, IP model where they have multiple sources committing to a project. So I think there's better IP management and protection. Uh, there's a repeatable design concept. So we build out our first 500 barrel per day plant. That's a design that can be re replicated uh, elsewhere. You can cut down cost and, and time by eliminating front end engineering design and certain detailed engineering design activities for a repeatable design. And we've investigated at times when you go to different sites, maybe have different utilities, different cooling water temperature or different wind and seismic constraints. You can factor in worst case scenarios and, and come up with a, a serial number one design that can be used for serial number five at a different part of the country. And again, that's cost and that's time to market. A couple other benefits. Uh, single source supply. Uh, in, in plain English, you're pointing your finger in one direction. That's on cost, that's on schedule, that's on warranty, that's on contract flowdowns. We take care of all the contract flowdowns to subcontractors. That's also on performance. On um, the majority of our projects, we do have um, skin in the game from a process performance warranty you know, for the parts of the process that we're able and confident to warrant. Um, safety is a benefit as well. We're not fabricating at site, uh, minimum amount of site disruption. 
And I think those are the principal things. And I'll just add a couple comments to what John said before too. It's interesting with some of these technologies that are high pressure applications like the reaction process with this GTL technology, economies of scale at high pressure uh, are not your traditional power function of 0.6. Uh, they start to be a, a lot more linear. And, and what I mean by that is uh, the cost penalty of building out at a smaller scale uh, is not as material at high pressure as it is, in my experience, at medium and low pressure. Uh, so their, their cost of capital at a smaller scale is not as penal to the overall business case. Um, that's probably the best summary I can give you of the benefits relevant to this type of technology. Excellent. Well, perfect. Well, I lied. I actually do have one last question for both y'all. So for the listeners who want to learn more about the SCG Plus technology, John, I'm kind of wondering where, where people can go to find out more information. And as well, uh, for you, Brian, if, if listeners want to learn more about modular builds, see if modular builds might be the way they want to go in the future, where can they go to find out more information about Coke Modular? Sure. Uh, for, for Coke Modular, uh, whether it's through our, our LinkedIn or, or social media or website, cokemodular.com, uh, probably the best way to reach out. And once you connect with us, uh, you know, for us more than anything, we want to drive it towards a conversation. And, and that's where we find opportunities and get to build relationships and trust. And and same with uh, with Bluescape, um, you know, certainly go to the website and reach out. And uh, there's there's an info button there. We can, we'll certainly get back to you. And if somebody has some interest in potential project opportunities or whatever, we'd love to talk to them. Excellent. Well, perfect. Brian, John, I can't thank you all enough for giving us a couple minutes of your time today. Uh, some really interesting stuff, uh, especially uh, on, on this new technology and, of course, on this move towards modular building as well. So really want to thank you both for your time today. And of course, we want to thank all of you for listening to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. Thank you, Lee. Thanks, Lee.